Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, to the book of John chapter 10. We are supposed to, as missionaries, reproduce ourselves, and as Christians, the call is the same. One of the things we do to teach people to lead music is every, every service, we have different song leaders. And we teach the young men every single service, different persons leading the music. Every Sunday night, we start singing 30 minutes before church starts. And the reason for that, it gives us about eight or ten young men a chance to lead music, and it sets the tone for the evening service, and it's a blessing. And we teach all of our sound men, because some sound men are not very sound, and uh, we, we teach them they should reproduce themselves and teach other people their ministry. We teach every usher that they should be recruiting new ushers and teaching them how to ush. <laughs> Amen? How to be appropriate and how to use mints in their mouth. You ever met a, an usher who could stop a charging water buffalo at 100 meters? Mint is vital. And, uh, <laughs> and we teach every preacher to train preachers. Every teacher to teach someone. Every person who gets disciples should be discipling with a mindset I'm getting discipled so I can teach someone else what I'm learning now. Am I on back there? Because I can't hear myself. And when I can't hear myself, I get lonely. <laughs> and I'm not sure if you can hear me, because I feel like people are allergic to me. The first three rows are empty. <laughs> if I did something in Sunday school, I want to I want to apologize in advance. <laughs> it's always like that. It's, are you serious? Are you serious? Now, I'm, I'm glad that your pastor lets you get away with that. He's a kind man. I've known him for almost 20 years, and what, what a brother. In our church, we don't even let people sit in the back until the front is full, and that's because it's run by Gestapo. <laughs> I'm personally allergic to empty chairs, so we're going to stand, we're going to read here, and if you have enough courage, I would invite you to come down where the action is. The VIP seating is still available. All of inclusive section comes with the cheering side over here, and uh, anyway, let's stand to our feet. We'll read John chapter 10. John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking here, and he says in verse number 9, I am the door, by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. Isn't that incredible? All salvation comes through Jesus Christ. There is thousands of ways to go to hell, but there's only one way to go to heaven. He tells us in verse number 10, I am the door, and by me if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out. And find pasture. He's talking here in verse number 11. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for his sheep. He doesn't talk about it. He proved his love. He says, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf cometh and leaveth the sheep and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and I am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He continues on in verse number 24, the Jews question his deity, and he says in verse 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but ye believe not. And here's the reason, because ye are not my sheep, as I said unto you. The text verses, verse 27, my sheep... Hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, 
neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. The text verse, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I want to preach on this statement. Sheep follow. Father, I pray that you would bless your word. Dear God, this morning I do not know the people in this room. Holy Spirit, I do not know their strengths, their weaknesses. I don't know their talents or their flaws. I don't know those that are hurting this morning. Father, I pray that you take compassion and wrap their hurt in healing. Father, I don't know those who are struggling spiritually or those who are backslidden. I do not know those who are lost or saved. So, Holy Spirit, I'm asking this morning you would custom fit this message to the need of every life. Father, the culture that is here is different than what I'm used to. So overcome my flaws and might you have victory in each of our lives. I pray that you confound Satan and his wiles and his snares and his darts, his resistance, his rebellion and his division this morning. And Father, I pray that you would give victory in every life and heart that is here. I pray for those that are here this morning that are lost in their sins and they're on their way to hell. I pray that today they would get saved. Father, I pray those who are in disobedience to God, might they find victory through obedience and exploit the opportunity of that blessing. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I remember someone saying, sheep follow, but goats butt. There's a song, one of the lyrics to that song is, Come just as you are and worship me. In modern religion, many people don't let God change them. And you can't find a significant difference between the world and many of those people in church. And the number one reason behind that is, we maybe found Jesus Christ, but we didn't follow him. Because you can come just as you are and find salvation and find Jesus, but you can't stay the same. When you meet Jesus, you always leave different. When you think about the creator of the universe, not just earth or not this galaxy, but over two million galaxies, over 76 trillion stars, God created and numbered and placed each of them in place. He knows your DNA. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motives and your intentions and nothing escapes him. And he says, here's the key to you transforming your life. Follow me. And when you have a confrontation with Jesus, you never remain the same when you follow his plan. And the starting point of discipleship, the starting point of personal growth, or the starting point of salvation is to recognize that you don't want to stay the same way. You want God to grow you and to 
change you, as we read this morning, to transform you by the renewing of your mind. But ladies and gentlemen, may I say today, very few people are changing. Because I believe very few people recognize in honesty that they need to change. It's almost as if we're saturated with contentment. Or saturated with apathy or just happy to be what we are. And in our mind we almost pose no threat to anything. And, and risk becomes threat when really it's growth. Growing up in Alaska, my father's been a missionary there almost 50 years. And there was eight kids in my family, five boys and three girls. And I remember as a young boy, I mean Alaska's a different culture. If you've anybody been there... Alaska is very unique. It's, I mean, people are tough. They're independent. They're, they go there to get away from their ex-wife, the IRS, and the government for the most part. A lot of egocentric individuals, and they're just tough. And, you know, you start doing, you just break the mold. And I remember I was maybe six years old, and I was driving down the road with my father, and I looked over at my dad, and I said, uh, and I asked him one of the most important questions a boy ever asked his father. I said, Dad, can I drive? <laughs> he had the same mocking laugh that she just had. And he said, no, but, 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 you know, that doesn't stop you. If you're from Alaska. We got to the house and he went inside, but I scooted over on that big seat. They, they used to have seats that went all the way across. And, uh, I scooted over and I put my hands up on the steering wheel and my hand over on that gear changer and I put it in reverse and I backed down the driveway and onto the road and I headed up the highway. It was 40 miles to the Canadian border and we knew the, the, the uh, immigration officials, we waved or I waved as I passed and I kept on going. In the Northwest Territory in Yukon and then down into British Columbia, I had things to do with my life. Drove into Washington and then Oregon and California. Took a hard left in Nevada and New Mexico and passed through Arizona onto Texas and stopped for barbecue. Continued on to Louisiana and Mississippi and Florida and took a left up through the Carolinas and Georgia and to reach the Big Apple. Man, what a trip. I saw a lot. It was unbelievable. But like the prodigal son, the Bible says when he came to himself. And when I came to myself, I was sitting in front of my house with my hand on my steering wheel. And in my mind, I'd taken an incredible trip. <laughs> but I'd gone nowhere. You know what I've discovered in life? There's a lot of people sitting in their pew, holding on to the front on a journey that's not taking place in reality. And God wants us to grow. How are we going to grow? Let me give you several thoughts. Number one, if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you can't say the same. Number one, if you're going to follow Christ, you must first be born again. Here's what he says. He says in, in verse 31, then the Jews took up stones to stone him again. After he gets done saying, I and my father are one. Why is he saying that? He's reminding them, listen, you are sinners, you are lost, but here's what you do have, Pharisees. You have religion. 
You may be the first one to say, listen, I'm telling you, I have not been in a place like the Carolinas. I mean, religion is culture. Would you say amen? I'm not used to that. 100 feet from my back door is a Hindu temple. 300 meters to the left is another Hindu temple. 400 meters to the right is a Kali temple. They sacrifice animals and do blood sacrifices. They're beating drum two nights ago till 4 o'clock in the morning. They walk on hot coals. They beat themselves with whips and go into trances. I'm not around a culture of religion. Every night when I go to bed, I hear people playing heavy, hard music and drinking rum out my back window. North Carolina, people doing drugs and politely, please pass that shot of meth. It's a different culture. It's unique. Ladies and gentlemen, the Pharisees had a religious culture, but they didn't know Jesus Christ. How many times have you watched someone behave in an ungodly way, but they had a religious culture? And they were kind and they were nice. And listen, praise the Lord for religious culture. At least people are nice. You have a lot to be grateful for. They may not be on their way to heaven, but they're nice. Now there is a difference. But if you're going to follow Jesus Christ, the first step is you must be born again. There's no shortcuts. There's no plan B. There's not another exception. You don't have links behind Jesus. You don't have a connection in government. There's no place to pay some bribe money. You've got to go through the door. That's Jesus Christ. I was religious. In our family, every morning we'd read the Bible. Five boys, three girls. Every night we'd read the Bible. Sunday morning, we were in church. Sunday night, we were in church. Friday night, we are in youth program. Saturday, we're soul winning. Wednesday night, we're in church. By the time I was 12, as a family, we read through the Bible eight times. Now they've read through the Bible over 35 times as a family. I'd read through the Bible dozens of times by the time I was 15. I cannot remember missing church tiles in my 20s. I missed church twice in my life. You know what I had? I had religion. I'd come to church. I'd watch the ceiling fans turn. I'd count the tiles on the floor. My favorite church, part of church was amen at the end. I'd hear people say, get up and preach. And they say, the greatest place in the world is church. And then I come to church. I thought I was at a mausoleum. I said for sure someone has died and we're having the wake and people are quiet under respect. And then I go to a football game. I remember the first time I went to the University of Texas football game. I'm telling you what, there was 106,000 people in the stands. They were yelling and screaming. The building was shaking. There was guys. I mean, they were wearing burnt orange. And then there was a set of guys that had taken their shirts off. And they were wearing burnt orange. Paint. I mean, their chest looked like a shag carpet from the 70s. It was despicable. And I was sitting there going, this is madness. And, and this is this is craziness. And what's going on? And then they said, well, church is the best place in the world to be. I wasn't convinced. I'm telling you, I had religion. I was a good person. I did a lot of good things. We'd preach on the streets. We'd pass out tracts. I'd preach in church. I even try and sing a few times in church. But when I sang, the angels wept and 
They flew heaven's flag at half staff. And I said, listen, church is a good thing. It's an, it's an honorable thing to go to. It's a, it's a, it's an important thing in your life. And, uh, 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 I'm going to continue to do it, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go off and I, I, I was ambitious as a teenager and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to go to university. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, get my education and I'm going to become a lawyer. Then I'm going to go into politics and, and I'm going to, I had a lot of plans. God's got a big sense of humor. I'll never forget it was November 5th, 1989. None of all my religion I was sitting in church on a Wednesday night right over here on this side. And I remember the, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart for the first time in my life. I admitted that I was lost. I remember hearing great preaching take place many times. And I walked down the aisle and I prayed this prayer. Dear God, if I'm not saved, would you save me today? And never getting saved. See, the Bible says Jesus came to seek and to save those that are lost. Salvation is not a hypothetical thing. It's not a hope so. It's a no so. And the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, I mean, who's everywhere, who's omniscient and omnipresent. Are you with me? He comes inside of you and indwells you. You can't keep him in there. He'll start popping out here and popping out there. And people start saying stuff like, you're talking different. You're acting different. You're dressing different. You're behaving different. What are you excited about? What's different about you? There's no such thing as undercover Christian in your mind. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. The places I used to go, I don't go there anymore. Why? Because I've gotten saved from my sin. I had religion. I came to church. I gave to missions. I tithe. Matter of fact, I tithe as much as 50%. Pharisees did the same. November 5th, 1989. I got saved. I said, God, I'll do anything you want me to do. Your mission. Don't get me wrong. I was ambitious at the moment. It was eight kids. We grew up poor. How many of you guys grew up poor? I mean, you had to look up to see the poverty level. I mean, you were so poor, you ate rice on top of rice. You know, you didn't have chicken to put on rice. You didn't have dal to put on rice. Mr. Drag Group, you know what I'm talking about? You were so poor that you didn't even have more rice to put on your rice. I said, I want to make some money. I want to. It took about 12 hours for the Holy Spirit of God to slap me around. And I said, God, I'll be a missionary. And I'll go anywhere but go to Russia. <laughs> and I remember about 12 hours later, I surrendered to go to Russia. God didn't want me to go to Russia. He just wanted me to be willing to go anywhere. And and after I graduated from Bible college, I said, uh, I became a youth pastor and uh, assistant pastor. And we started we started ministries uh, to, to homeless teenagers and, and, and teenagers in prisons. And and I remember saying, God would just show me where to go. I, I researched the world and I realized the greatest need in the world is 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 missionaries. Seven point six billion people and what they need is the gospel. Period. To change the world, it's, it, it changes one life at a time. With, with my motivation, 
And I said, I'm going to do something great. I, I realized, uh, I, 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 in my pride, I said to God, God, I'm going to, I'm going to do something great for you. And, and God said, I don't need your ambition. I, I just want your submission. I prayed about going to Colombia and Peru. I prayed about going to Argentina. I prayed about going to Mexico. Man, what a blessing. Standing up. Buildings in the middle of Mexico City and from horizon to horizon. Nothing but people. Monterrey, nine million people. What an opportunity. Drug cartels everywhere. What an opportunity. Can you imagine if Chapo would get saved? El Chapo got saved. What kind of vision do you have? God specializes in the hard cases. We had this lady come to church. And then about a year later, she brought her mom and she got saved. A sister and got saved. And another sister, she started coming. She got saved. And and uh, she's been saved for about three months. I watch her in service, and she'd sit over here, and she'd just she'd cry almost every single service. Well, you're just preaching. The Holy Spirit's doing His job. You don't know what's going on in people's lives. Um, sometimes they think that you're actually targeting them, and you don't even know what their business is. Do you know what I'm talking about? And and, <laughs> and people look guilty. You have no idea why they're guilty because you think they're all good people. You found out they're not. Anyway, um. She, she's over there crying. And this would be Sunday morning. Sunday night. Wednesday night. Sunday morning. And to her sister, I said, uh, what, what's, what's the situation? Is there something we can do or pray about? She said, uh, you don't understand. She said, her husband's a gang leader. He leads this area at several miles long. Thousands of homes in that area. 90% of the crime comes out of that area. And... Uh, her husband's the, the gang leader over that area. And I thought, what an opportunity. Let's go find her husband. There was times we'd go to her house in an area where people told you not to go. I'm going to the front door. He's going out the back door. First time I ever went in there, I drove in in a black car. And I saw people running through the woods. They thought it was police. I felt powerful. You know, I discovered gangsters are scared of the police and pastors. There's two, two things. And uh, I probably made 40 trips trying to find him. Only met him one time. I remember watching her cry one day in service, and I went to her sister, and I said, God's really burdened my heart. I said, I have a feeling if he doesn't get saved, something bad's going to happen. Literally, that week, I was witnessing to a, a, a principal of a Muslim school. This Muslim lady, she was, she was, she had gotten sick and she was bedridden. And, and while I was sitting there, the phone rang. And it was this girl. And she said, they just killed my husband. We were standing right next to each other. They came up with guns and they blew the back of his head right off, right off his shoulders. I remember driving over there, there was several hundred gangsters. They wanted to start what they call a row. Now, there was a point in time where I wanted to be the President of the United States. And sit, I'm sitting in this area surrounded by several hundred gangsters with guns. 
And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? You know what God's grace has done? God's grace reached down and saved that young lady and saved her four kids. And today, ten years later, they're remarried, they're in church, and God's grace is real. And God's grace works for everybody. I'll tell you what, you don't get to heaven on religion. You get to heaven through being saved. You've got to be born again. It doesn't matter how many church services you go to. You got to be born again from your sin. There's no shortcuts. It's got to come through him and him alone. Jesus said, I am the way. It tells us in 1 John chapter 5, he said there's one true God, Jesus Christ. Hindus worship 2 to 20 million gods, depending on how you count. They believe in uh, pantheism. Pan means all and theism, God. And God is all and all is God. But ladies and gentlemen, there is only one true God. And His name is still Jesus Christ. You can know about Him, but if you don't know Him, when you die, you're going straight to hell. There's thousands of ways to heaven, but there's only... I'm sorry, there's thousands of ways to hell, but there's only one way to heaven. Satan has deceived billions of people into going and following false religions. And we can follow our culture, we can follow people of our color, but to get to heaven, you must follow Jesus Christ in Christ alone. You can't get there because your parents brought you to church. You can't get there because your friends brought you to church. You can only get there because you were saved from your sin. That was November 5th, 1989. Just a couple weeks, it'll be 30 years. What's your name? DJ? When's your birthday? December 27th. Are Are you sure about that, DJ? Are you positive? How do you really know? Do you remember it? So how do you know? Do you know what he's he's looking at me like, Pastor, why are you harassing me? Why are you disrespecting my intelligence in church? Sorry, PJ. He's sure he was born on the 27th of December. Sure, right? As sure as you can be sure. I was born October 24th. And I know. I've been convinced. You know how convinced I am I was born again November 5th, 1989. Just as sure I was born physically, I can tell you just when I was born spiritually. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just, oh, yeah, I got saved today. It was salvation. It was unbelievable. I mean, I grew up in Alaska where we were taught not to cry. Men were men and women were too. I mean, it was... (laughs) It was brutal. But I'll tell you, when God saved me, I couldn't stop crying. I understand in this culture, everybody cries. Just ask for a testimony... Is it true? Where I'm from, people don't cry. I mean, you heard them and they don't cry. But when God gets your heart, it's amazing what he did. He, I mean, I, I left different. Can I ask you a question? 
Is your life different because you got saved? I don't care how many prayers you prayed. I know people that pray the sinner's prayer every single week. And they're lost. And they're all on their way to hell. That was me. Hey, I'm just trying to say that if you're going to grow and follow Jesus Christ, number one, you must be born again. Because when you get born again, your nature changes. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. Things I like to do, that changes. If I go down this road and and, and to the junction up the corner and around where that big German shepherd is, he acts different than I do. I mean, just imagine if I went over, what's that grocery store down there, DJ, the grocery store? Just at the corner. Which one is that? That one. If I go there and I buy a big can of Alpo dog food, and I, I come to church, I open that up and say, guess what? We're feeding Sunday school class today. And I, I shake some of that dog food out in a tortilla, put some salsa on that, and I bring it to DJ. He's going to say, nasty. Pastor, you're sick in the head. That's not for me. I don't eat that thing. I only eat biscuits and gravy. <laughs> no one in their right minds eats dog food. Uh-huh. But when I go around the corner past the junction up to that house, and I take that Alpo dog food, and I shake it out over the fence, that, that German shepherd, he's coming. Why? He's got a different nature. And tell you what, when you get saved, your nature changes. You don't have to go to church again. You get to go to church again. Matter of fact, you don't show up on time. You show up early. Matter of fact, you want everybody to know what you got. You'll tell your friends, your family, your neighbors, your enemies, people at work, your schoolmates. You want everybody to know. I mean, one of the first signs you know someone got saved is they want to tell everybody. And sometimes they just go off. Half cocked, telling everybody. They just can't get enough and telling everybody. Why? Because they got saved. Does it make sense to you? Maybe you didn't get saved. I wouldn't say that to get you to doubt your salvation. I'd say that to get you assurance of your salvation. I mean, your nature changes. Your behavior changes. You got a new boss in your life. He's running you. He's controlling you. He's directing you. I was 17 years old. <clears throat> I got to Bible college and I wanted to get into ministry with gangsters. And uh, so I started going to a juvenile detention centers. I remember the first time I went, it was just a big square building. And I walked up, this guy with me, took me in. And you look at a camera and they say, who are you? And you tell them who you are. And suddenly you hear a click and this door opens up. First time. Now you understand, I came up, I'm from the bush. I grew up way, way out in the bush. I mean, I was so far in the country, they didn't have sunlight. They had to pump it in. And uh, <laughs> and here I am staring at this wall, and it's talking to me. And I remember hearing this click, and the guy says, push on the door. And I pushed on the door. We walked in, and the door would click behind us, and there's another door. We looked there, just stare at the door. 
then you'd click and you push on that door and go into another hallway and it clicking. Everything was controlled by a click. There was a lot of clicks there. And uh, we went to the first day room and, and all these, these these teenagers were there. We're witnesses to them. We went to another one. There was five day rooms in that in that uh, juvenile detention center. And I asked the guys with, I said, how is this controlled? I mean, where's the security? He said, see right there in the middle? All these windows that were black. He said, that's the control room. And I said, what if the wrong person gets in the control room? Before you're born again, the wrong person is in the control room. When you get saved, you get a new person in the control room. And your life begins to go a different direction. It may not happen in an instant, but I'll tell you what, the Holy Spirit is now inside of you, and like a magnet, He's pulling you to truth. He's guiding you to truth, and you're uncomfortable with wrong, and you're uncomfortable with drinking, and you're uncomfortable with smoking, you're uncomfortable with that pornography, and you're uncomfortable with that sin in your life. You're uncomfortable with that immoral relationship you're involved in. You're shacking up and you're uncomfortable with it. Five months ago, a couple came. They had just gotten saved and they came and said, Pastor, um, we're saved two days ago. And we tell people we're married, but really we're just shacking up. Isn't it amazing how the Holy Spirit works? No one pulled them aside and said, hey, you need to stop shacking up and you need to get right with God. They just came and here's what they said. We need to get married. I'm like, I like it. That's what I'm talking about. I had an old missionary tell me, when you come to the Caribbean, if people, you can get them to, to stop fornicating and you can get them to stop drinking, they can become good Christians. That's my goal. And <laughs> by the way, two weeks later, they just went to the Justice of Peace and got married. Isn't that a blessing? I, I didn't have one counseling session. That was the Holy Spirit. That man had hair down to here. He was a Rastafarian smoking marijuana. That, that may be legal here. Is that legal here? Not yet. So you're looking? Okay. Anyway. Um, <laughs> Three weeks later, he came and says, Pastor, he said, I don't understand everything, but it seems like in the Bible, you're not supposed to have long hair. Is that right? I said, well, it says it's a shame. Now, I'd never tell you what to do. Does that sound like Andy Griffith now? <laughs> I'd never tell you what to do. But the Bible says it's a shame. He says, okay. Next service, he comes. I mean, he was down to here. Dreadlocks. Guess what God did? He came in looking sharp, fresh, marked, clean, and everything. How did that happen? Wasn't a counseling session. Wasn't a book he read. It was a Holy Spirit of God now inside of him when he says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they what? They follow me. Your best friend is the Holy Spirit. He's never led you wrong. I'm embarrassed sometimes. 
when people are dressing wrong and living wrong and acting wrong and they get mad at the preacher and they say, listen, if the the Holy Spirit wants me to change my life, he'll tell me. He has. (laughs) How many times have we ducked the Holy Spirit? You come to church, the Holy Spirit says to do something. (sighs) God, out of that service, Holy Spirit says come to the altar. I'm just going to annoy that voice for now. Him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. I'll tell you what a blessing it was when I got saved. I didn't have to give again. I got to give. When I got saved, I didn't have to worry about this pressure of going soul winning and evangelizing. I said, hey, when is the next chance we can go? I didn't have to live with that stress. Oh, no. Give my time to singing in the choir. I joined three. I couldn't sing and I had no talent to sing and I didn't care. Because <laughs> I wasn't singing to them, I'm singing to him. Do you know what I'm talking about? So much of our Christian life is all wrapped up in what other people think and who really cares? Who, what does God think? When you get set free from man's opinion, you're free indeed to serve God. If you're worried about what man thinks, I'm telling you, you'll be miserable. Just go get it done. That's a southern thing. Get her done. <laughs> I'm not going to get to this message, but we'll stay on the first point. Go, go to go to John, since you're already there. John chapter 15. How do you get her done? <clears throat> My name is Bubba. How do you get her done? All right. You become a good gardener. Look what he says. John 15. I am the true vine. My father's the husband. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. God has designed his children, if you're truly saved, to bear fruit. You can't help that. That is a natural thing. I'm not talking just about numerical fruit. I'm talking about spiritual fruit. The fruit of the Spirit will come out because you have a new nature. If you don't have the fruit of the Spirit and you're not seeing people saved... Through biblical reproduction, you may need to find out if you're saved. Now, here's what he says. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it. Verse 3. Now, you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. He says, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. You know, if you join a a track club, the coach 
the coach of the track club, his job is to help you become faster. He's trying to get you to produce speed. If you edit a newspaper, the job of the editor is to cut out things that are improperly written to make it more effective. If you teach piano, your job is to teach that person how to have less flaws and be more effective. If you're the pastor of a church, the pastor's job is to help you deal with sin and, and, and eradicate the sin from your life and to let the Spirit of God work with freedom in your heart. That is a good thing. But when people resist the pastor, you, you ever notice when people get into sin, the first thing they want to stop is church? When the opposite should be in effect? When you have sin in your life, you should be faithful. It's like I got cancer. I quit, I quit hospitals. This cancer is tearing me off. Don't expect me to go get a checkup. <laughs> no, 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 I don't trust those doctors. No, they probably want to kill me. You know what? That's the same mentality in church sometimes. I, I my, my life's a mess. I'm in sin. Go into that church. I'll preach against it. That's the idea. That's a pastor's job. Don't go to a church that don't preach against it. You're not getting any help. The church is a hospital. He doesn't stop. There are fruits that God wants us to produce, and he'll clip and cut away until we achieve that properly. He says, verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So then, or so shall you be my disciples. As my Father hath loved me, so I love you. Then he says, Continue in my love. God will see diseases in our life, and he'll see some diseased leaves, and it'll be painful, but we need to get rid of that sin, that lying, and that revenge, and that envy, and that jealousy, and that vanity, and that arrogance, and that bad relationships, and that pride, and dangerous opportunities, and God will clip away. Just like a, a gardener knows how to realign a plant, God knows how to realign a life. So we can be more effective for him. He's the master gardener. But you know, we hear this preached and our common response is, okay, fine. I'll bear fruit. Bring the offering plate. I'll give more. Fine. I'll go sowing it, but don't, don't bring it up again. Okay. I'll sign up to work in the nursery, but I want everybody to know that I'm not happy about it. You growl. I'll be happy if it makes me angry. I want, I want to grow right now and God better be patient with my growth. I told you I'd give. Hurry up and pass that stupid offering plate. Okay, God, I'll forgive him even if it kills me. Can I remind you, you cannot will yourself to bear fruit. Let's say it slowly. You cannot will yourself to bear fruit. It's a natural response to the Holy Spirit of God. And let me tell you, God does not command you to bear fruit. 
You look there. It doesn't say. It's not a command. I'll tell you what the command is. Here's what his command. He says, <clears throat> verse 4, abide in me. Verse 4, abide in the vine. Verse 4, abide in me. Verse 5, for without me, you can't do nothing. Verse 6, if a man abide not in me. Verse 7, abide in me. Verse 9, continue ye in my love. Verse 10, abide in my love. God's command is not for you to bear fruit. God's command is for you to abide in him. And you cannot will yourself to abide in Christ. It's because you're his sheep, because you got saved. You can come to Christ just as you are, but when you get saved, it changes. After salvation, you begin to grow and mature, and your joy changes your life, and your disposition and your attitude becomes different. My favorite part of church used to be amen at the end. But I tell you, I come to church, and I'm done. I don't know how many times service is done, and people just sit there. They don't rush the door. I have been in church where they rush the door. I mean, you've got to get out of the way. There's a stampede. People are headed out. I'm telling you, church is a family. Service is done. People just sit there sometimes. They start talking. An hour later, I'm thinking, I wonder if they're going to go home today. I'm not worried about preaching too long because they want to stay after service. And then they get done fellowshipping at church and they go, where do you guys want to go? What are we, lonely? You know what happens when you're abiding in Christ and other people are abiding in Christ? You are having fellowship one with another. It's a sweet thing because you're in the family of God. First John, quickly. First John, chapter 1. And, and I've been done for about 10 minutes. Please don't you be done before I'm finished. Look what he says. First John, chapter 1. And he says in verse number six, if you say that we have fellowship with him, that's Jesus Christ, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. He says you can't live a duplicious life. You can't say go to church, I love God, and then go home and you play the fool. You know, some people have just enough Christianity to be miserable at a prayer meeting and miserable in the nightclub. You know what I'm talking about? And here's, he comes out. John is, John is brutal. He says, you're saying you fellowship with God, but your life is darkness. He says, you lie and do not the truth. Look at verse seven. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sin. He's saying, if you're fellowshipping with God, the proof of that is your fellowship with each other. That doesn't happen naturally. Before you get saved, your best friends are people that, that have things in common with you. But when you get saved, your best friends are people that have common with Jesus Christ. My closest family is inside of God's house. And what a blessing it is to be here with you. You can travel anywhere in the world. And when you're saved and they're saved, you may not speak the language. You may not be the same color. You may not be the same culture. But you're family and you can't explain it. Hey, if you're uncomfortable in church, you may want to ask yourself why. I know what it was with me. I had religion, but I had no relationship. 
I was familiar with God, but I was a stranger to holiness. When I got saved, it's amazing the difference that God made. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, the name which is above every name. The name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that you are Lord of all. Now, dear God, we come to you asking this church right here this morning. Every child of God this morning would make a commitment to say, I will follow you. Father, you have spoken. It's only you can do the hearts of men and ladies and young people here. I pray that each of us would obey you. In Jesus' name we ask. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I want you to take a moment right there in your chair where you're at to look inside of your heart and your life. There's nobody that can be honest like you. You're here right now and you say, Pastor, if I die today, I'm one, I'm not 100% sure that I'm on the way to heaven. I want you to think about it for a minute. Where will you spend eternity? What are you counting on and what are you trusting in right now at this moment? As we look inside of our hearts, you hear it and say, Pastor, if I died today, I can tell you time and place. I'm 100% sure that if I died, I'm on my way to heaven. And I could prove it from the Bible. Would you slip your hand up? I'm 100% sure I'm on my way to heaven. I could prove it from God's word today. Thank you. May put your hands down. Every eye is closed. Every head is bowed as we look inside of our hearts today. You're here and you say, Preacher, if I die today, I'm not 100% sure that I'm on my way to heaven. I'd like to know that from the Bible today. Would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand high? And I'll pray for you right now. Just slip it up. Raise it high. Don't wait a moment. Slip it up. Pastor, would you pray for me? I see that hand. Yes, I appreciate your honesty. Is there someone else? Pray for me, Pastor. Pray for me. Eyes are closed. Heads are bowed. We look inside of our hearts today. Pastor, I'm not 100% sure if I died, I'm on my way to heaven. I want to know that this morning. Would you pray for me? I saw that hand. Is there someone else? Pray for me, Pastor. Slip it up and I'll pray for you. Slip it up and I'll pray for you. You're here right now. It says, Preacher, here's the truth. Here's the truth. I'm saved and I'm on the way to heaven. I'm convinced that I know it. But there's some areas of my life where I'm not following Christ like he has told me. There's some things I've been resisting, some rebellion. There's some th- changes I'm supposed to make that I'm not making. I know what it is. And the Holy Spirit's been clear. I know why I've disobeyed God. Can I ask you a question? Are you willing to be honest today? Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Pray for me, Pastor. Slip your hand up high. Slip your hand up high. Just be honest. That's all we're asking. I appreciate your honesty. I see hands all over the building. I see hands all over the building. How about it, sir? Would you stand to your feet? Every head's bowed. Every eye's closed. Everybody's standing. Dear God, I thank you today for the grace of God and the word of God. I don't want to walk out of these doors knowing there's people in this room that are not on their way to heaven. I don't want to walk out of these doors without giving people a chance to say, I want to change the direction I'm going and follow Christ. God's told me what to do. And I want to change my choices. I want to follow him today. In Jesus' name.